All right. Well, this morning I do have a, a short word for you, a little shorter than normal. I do have an announcement for you again. Remember, I had an announcement last week, but this week, this is the last message in the series uh, on the letter to the Philippians. It's a great series. I've really, really enjoyed it. I mean, nineteen, seventeen, nineteen, right? Um, uh, let me get this right here. Um, is it uh, 19 messages on this fort short, uh, short four-chapter book, right? I told you there was a lot here when we started, right? Now, hopefully next week, God willing, I'll begin a new series taking your place at the city gate. And if you don't know what that's about, you'll have to come next week to find out what that's about, all right? So I'm excited about that as well. And uh, in this series, we've seen so much great stuff. Uh, chapter 1, we saw that the God who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, he is working in your life. And then we saw this great example of how Paul deals with difficult situations in his life. And then in chapter 2, he encourages us to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says we should be like-minded and we should have love one for another, be of one spirit and one mind, striving for the gospel. We should be willing to suffer for Jesus if necessary, right? And we should have tenderness and compassion towards each other and have humility, the same type of humility that Jesus displayed. We should have that kind of humility as well. And we should live our lives without complaining or grumbling against God or against other people, right? And then in chapter 3, he warns us against the legalism of the Judaizers on the one hand and the uh, license of the Epicureans on the other. And he encourages us instead to know Jesus in the here and now and to press through whatever opposition we have to know Jesus in eternal life as well, in the kingdom of God. And so um, in chapter 4 then, he shows us how to achieve the peace of God through prayer, how to maintain the peace of God in our thought life, how to be content in any and every situation and uh, how we can uh, partner with the gospel, right? Uh, to take um, the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea, um, uh, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We talked about a lot of that last week, bringing the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? That Acts 1-8 uh, mission. And so this week, we want to focus in the time we have left on the other part of that mission. Going to your Jerusalem, to your Judea, to those people who are closest to you, to those people that God brings in our past. How are we going to bring the gospel um, to those people, those precious people. And so, um, you know, there may be many ways of doing that, but today, but today we're just going to look kind of at one big idea. And it's found here in just one verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. And it simply says this, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Would you all just bow for a moment over the word of God in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this series and this, this, this uh, letter that has been such a blessing to us as we've studied it, God. And uh, uh, God, today we open our hearts to you. God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. God, and give us a heart to understand. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 All right. Yet it was good of you to share in my Troubles. Now, we saw last week that this word share here, it's the Greek word koinonia, and it means 
to share in or to participate in or to, to enter into, uh, to fellowship in, right? And uh, here, they're sharing in, they're entering into Paul's troubles. They participated in them using their resources to alleviate them. So these Philippian believers, I mean, they've got a generous heart. And this wasn't the only time either. Verse 16 says that they had sent Paul um, this aid. They had participated with him again and again, right? Over and over again. And, uh, and then when the Jerusalem church was suffering in the midst of a famine, it says that um, they, they participated in that. Paul described it this way. He said, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in or participating in koinonia, this service to the Lord's people. I mean, these were generous people. I mean, and you can even see this in Lydia, the very first church member in Philippi. That's in Acts chapter 16, when this church was founded. Right after she and her whole family were baptized, the first thing she does is open her home and persuades Paul and his team to come and, and stay there with them, right? This is a generous group of people. These Philippians have a generous heart. And here's what I want you to see about a generous heart, right? It's more than just charity. It's more than just, like, giving financially. I mean, often that's part of it, right? But um, it's more than that. At its core, it's a heart condition. It's a condition of your heart, a condition that it shares itself with other people. It shares its resources, its talents, its abilities uh, with, with other people. It may be family. It may be friends. Right? It may be people in the neighborhood. It may be strangers, people you haven't even met. But this generous heart just wants to open up and share itself. It rejoices with those who rejoice, and it mourns with those who mourn. The selfish heart hoards and is closed to others, but the generous heart is open and shares with others and participates with others. And so those who are near to us are the best place for the fullest expression of of the generous heart. Those who are in your Jerusalem and in your Judea, those who God brings across your path day by day. So in the time we have left, I just want to give you five brief ideas about this generous heart from the Bible, okay? Okay, We're going to move through these kind of quickly. So here's the first one. Generosity flows from the heart of God. Generosity flows from the heart of God. Now, we could spend all day showing you this from the scriptures, right? But really, only one verse is really necessary. Maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... He what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much. His heart was so big. So generous that he not only gave us food and water and land and provisions and all that other stuff, he gave the best that he had. He gave his one and only son. He gave that which was most precious to him, his only son. He entered into our world. He became one of us. He participated with us in all that we go through. I mean, he shared in our troubles. I mean, that's pretty generous, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of generosity flowing from the heart of God right there. Generosity flows from the heart of God. And then second is this. Generosity reflects the heart of Jesus. Generosity reflects the heart of Jesus. I mean, think about it. 
The very first miracle that is recorded was recorded because of a generous heart that Jesus had. When there was, he was at a wedding, and he wasn't planning any miracles there, but uh, they had an embarrassing situation in which they had run out of wine. And in order to spare them that embarrassment, out of generosity of heart, he takes care of the situation for them. And then all throughout Jesus' ministry, we see this generous heart from Jesus. He heals all who come to him. I mean, never turning anyone away. Even sometimes after he had retired for the night, when he was at someone's house and getting ready to go to bed, crowds would come, and he would still receive them all and, and heal them all. He would spend time teaching them. Uh, he had this generous heart that was open to all. He touched lepers. He received the outcast. He proclaimed good news to the poor and lowly and, and freedom for the prisoners. He set the, the oppressed free. He was a friend of sinners. How many of you are glad for that? Amen. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Jesus is entering into our troubles. He had this generous heart that was open to us, participated with us in our humanity, and generously shared with us the glories of the kingdom of God. So when we're generous, when we have a generous heart, we're acting like Jesus. We reflect the heart of Jesus. Generosity reflects the heart of Jesus. And then next, generosity is an expression of confidence in God's Provision. Generosity is an expression of confidence in God's provision. You remember last week, we looked at verse 19, and we saw that Paul, in response to their generosity, uh, said to these Philippian believers that, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You know, when most of us read that, especially out of context, we're thinking in terms of material needs, right? God's going to reply all your material needs, right? But the verse is so much more than that. I mean, that's part of it, I think, but it's so much more than that because he could have written it that way. He could have written it, you know, and now my God will supply all your material needs. But he didn't write it that way. He just said, my God will supply all your needs. I mean, we have a lot of needs, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. We can be needy people, right? How many of you are needy people? <laughs> How many of you live with needy people? Wow, lots more live with needy people than are needy people. Who'd have thought that? I mean, we can be needy people, right? We have spiritual needs, we have emotional needs, we have financial needs, we have relational needs, we have, we have all kinds of needs, right? And uh, uh, the generous heart, think about this, the generous heart is open and loving and giving in all these things because it knows that God provides for all these things. Let me say that one more time. The generous heart is open and loving and giving in all these things because it knows that God provides for all these things. The generous heart gives love because it knows God provides more love. Right? The generous heart gives grace because it knows that there's more grace available from God. The generous heart is kind because of the kindness of God that continually flows into the believing heart. Right? The generous heart uh, gives of its time because it knows there's an eternity to spend with God. The generous heart gives of its resources because it knows that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
The generous heart gives of itself because it knows that whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Jesus will save it. The generous heart lets go of something dear to us, our time, our gifts, our talents, our resources, ourselves, because it knows there's more flowing from the heart and the hand of a gracious and generous God towards us. Generosity is an expression of confidence in God's provision. And the next fourth, generosity pleases Jesus. Generosity pleases Jesus. How many of you remember the story of the sheep and the goats? All right, it's in Matthew chapter 25. If you want to turn there, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. If you want to look at it, it's in Matthew 25. And it comes right after two important parables. The first is the parable of the ten virgins, in which Jesus is showing us how important it is to have the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we look to the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second parable there is the parable of the talents in which Jesus is trying to show us the importance of uh, being fruitful with the resources that God has given to us and entrusted to us. He doesn't want us to, to hide them and just hoard them, all of our abilities and resources to ourselves. He wants us to use them and produce fruit with them. And so then right immediately after these two parables comes this story of the sheep and the goats in chapters uh, 25, verses 31 to 46. So let's look at it. I'm going to read it here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right, now here in this story, right, we have Jesus dividing people into two groups, right? He calls them the sheep and the goats. And then he lists six different compassionate activities, right? And he says... He's pleased with the group over here that did these things. As a matter of fact, he says he's so pleased that when they did these things, even for the most insignificant of people, it's just as though they were doing it for him. And he tells them to enter into his reward. And then he says to those on his left that he's displeased with them for for not doing these things. And uh, even to the point he says that when they refused to do them for even the, the most insignificant person, they were refusing to do it. For Jesus, And he tells them to depart from him to the eternal fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Now pause on all of that for just a minute. It just got real, didn't it? 
I mean, what's going on here? Now, I don't believe this is Jesus saying that, you know, you earn salvation by these things, right? If you can just do enough of these things, then you'll tip the scale in your favor. I mean, the whole New Testament um, makes it clear, right, that we don't earn our salvation by works, right? That no one will be declared righteous by works of the law, right? Um, Salvation comes only through the cross of Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, and the Bible says that salvation is by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so it comes only through the cross. And so so what then? What is the point of this passage then? Well, I believe that Jesus is indicating here that the genuinely redeemed heart, the transformed heart, that the heart that's been touched by the generosity of God naturally expresses the generosity and compassion of God. Jesus said it this way, he who, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. James said it this way, faith without works is dead. Generosity then is an outgrowth of redemption. It's an outgrowth of the peace of God that transcends all understanding that we've been talking about. It's an outgrowth of of, uh, contentment that the Apostle Paul spoke about in our chapter in verse 12. And it's pleasing to God, commended by God. The unredeemed and untransformed heart really can't engage in this kind of generosity. But the redeemed heart does, and it's pleasing to God. And lastly, generosity enables you to share in the troubles of others. Generosity enables you to share in the troubles of others. Staying with this story for just a minute of the sheep and the goats, right? Look for a second at the six compassionate activities here that Jesus mentioned, right? He says, feeding the hungry giving water to the thirsty, welcoming a stranger, clothing the naked, taking care of the sick, and remembering those in prison. Now, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't like think Jesus is saying, these are the only six things you should do, right? But I think they're representative, they're examples of the kinds of things that redeemed people do, that people who have received the generosity and kindness of God do, right? Uh, And, uh, uh, It's the heart that says things like this, that helps a missionary like Gary Higgins bring clean drinking water to thousands of people across the world, enabling them to focus a little bit better on just staying alive. It's the the kind of heart that that meets the needs of disaster victims all over the world by supporting a ministry like Convoy of Hope. It's the kind of heart that offers a meal and a prayer at CityGate. It's the kind of heart that... that uh, ministers at the homeless mission. It's the kind of heart that engages in our prison ministry, helping people find a path towards a life that God can bless. It's the kind of heart that spends time maybe mentoring some of our kids in some of our ministries or some of our youth uh, in some of our ministries. It's the kind of heart that visits and prays with the sick and the shut-in. It's the heart that works with and supports Christian drug and alcohol programs like Teen Challenge and New Life for Girls. It's the kind of heart that supports Align Life Ministries, helping people in crisis pregnancy situations, both men and women, helping them get through that and get established and helping them even after the birth. It's the kind of life that supports and works with ministries like North Star Initiative and, and helping people who've been abused find their best life in Jesus. It's the heart that shares in the troubles of others. I can tell you, I'm praying that God will help us do that more and more, both right here in the context of our current ministries and maybe in other uh, creative ways as well as we try to meet the challenges that our community 
is facing. Let me share one particular challenge with you right now. A lot of you know that um, you know, most of our Lancaster schools are trying to open up five days a week, right? but our Lancaster City Schools are, aren't doing that right now. They are uh, trying to go all virtual, and that creates a lot of um, challenges for a lot of our families um, in, in this community. And I, I think a lot of you know that uh, we've been trying to meet that challenge. We've been partnering with another church here to uh, house. We, I think we're up to 18 uh, elementary school kids are coming here five days a week now to do their school and other activities. And we've got youth pastors and others over here who are, who, are, who are ministering to them. But they're telling me now that they could really, really use some more help. I mean, they're just, they're just putting six hours a day besides everything else they have to do. And they've got some volunteers. So if you find yourself in a place that, that, that I know last time I said it, you're probably thinking, oh, no, I've got to not look Pastor Paul in the eye because he's asking for six days a week for six hours or something like that, right? But if you're able even to give a day or even just a morning or an afternoon to be able to do that, if you could see me or call Mary or something and let us know about that, that would be even just a morning or afternoon would be a great blessing to those who are helping us with us and to those, these um, young people as well. It was good of you, he says, to share in my troubles. Church family, can I tell you, it is good of you to participate in, to share in, to to enter into the troubles of our community. So we we get ready to conclude this service this morning. I kind of want to pray with you, challenge you. Let me ask you all to just bow your heads right where you're at, and we're going to pray together. And uh, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands this morning or anything like that, but... uh, If you've been a person with a generous and open heart towards others, can I encourage you? Keep it up. Keep doing it. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You are reflecting the heart of Jesus, trusting in his vision and pleasing to him. And, you know, if you haven't really had much of an open heart to others and you find yourself, maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of um, challenging you a little bit this morning, I challenge you to begin to ask God, to change that. Begin to ask God this morning to open your heart and, and show you how to share in, in someone else's troubles, where you can give a drink of water, so to speak, and refresh someone, how you can make an investment in someone's life that helps enable them to live their best life in Christ. So may God fill us all with a generous heart that overflows with love like these Philippian believers do. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, we bless your name this morning. Thank you for your grace and mercy, your generous heart towards us, God. Thank you for this letter to the Philippians we've been studying. It's been such a blessing to us, God. Uh, Father, um, I pray that you take this word this morning. And God, help us to live it out and put them in practice this week. Give us an overflowing and generous and loving heart, God, as we participate with you, with, with each other, and with your plan, God, to extend the grace of God, God, both here in our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Make us fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, wonderful, amazing week. I encourage you, again, check out the North Star Initiative table on your your way out. Have a chat with them. Hear some great stories. See if you can help them in any way. And again, if you can help with our uh, kids during the week, even just the morning or afternoon, let us know. God bless you. Amen.